Yeah. Well, today is uh, Pentecost Sunday, and last week I had the uh, opportunity to go to the Lutheran Church down the road here in Grover, and it was Ascension Sunday. At least uh, it was. Uh, that's what that happened. So, so after the resurrection, there was a forty-day period where Jesus was on planet Earth still before he went up, and of course, then he went to that Mount of Olives, as the Bible said. And as he went up, he says, "What are you looking at?" He says, "The Son of Man will come down in the same way in which he has gone up." And so we know that at that second coming, that that is the place where Jesus will come down again. And, of course, it will be a worldwide event. We will all know very much about it. But, uh, and then he had said, now wait 10 days, he said, and wait until the coming of the Spirit. So 50 days after the resurrection, so counting back, 50 days after the resurrection, we come now to that Pentecost Sunday where the promised Holy Spirit would be given to the church, not only to the disciples, but to the entire church community, not just to the Billy Grahams of the world, as we would say, but also to people like us, ordinary men and women, the Holy Spirit has been given, and that's a blessing that uh, Jesus promised would come upon the church at his departure. So he said, I do not leave you as orphans, right? I don't leave you by yourself trying to figure out life. But he said, the Holy Spirit here, and he will remind you of all the things that I said and that I taught. That's kind of by way of introduction into the message for today. But if you'd like to open up your scriptures, we're going to read those together too. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to read a part of that, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. So let's uh, take a look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm reading from my mother's Bible, and uh, she had a large print edition that I got her many years ago. I inherited it at, uh, at the time of her passing, and so now uh, I'm really glad these are large print. In fact, I can understand why she liked it so much. So hear the word of God. Jesus is taken up, as uh, Dr. Luke writes. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, that's a key statement here. All that he began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard and uh, me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Now there's some other things that took place in uh, this particular book of Acts or this chapter. Uh, it, was, uh, it was finding a replacement for Judas. And so, of course, uh, they had two candidates, and they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he became that replacement for Judas, as we would say. And so the number was complete again. There was 12. And this took place in the second part of, of this particular chapter. Now let's go to chapter 2, and this gives us a thumbnail sketch of what this Pentecost Sunday is all about. 
penta meaning 50. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and Greeks converted to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is God's word for this morning to us. Let's pray. Father, I would ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight and that what is said and done would glorify you above all things. Amen. In the beginning, we've heard those words before, haven't we? In the beginning. Now, if I were to do a little Bible quiz, I would say in which book of the Bible would those very famous words be found. Old Testament or New Testament? Well, we would say back in the Old Testament, that's the first answer that comes to us. We go back to the very book of Genesis, right? The Bible says, uh, in the beginning, God created the earth. In the beginning, uh, God, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, there's a takeoff many, many years later, centuries later, when you and I read stories when we were kids, and maybe we read them to our grandkids, too, and children about the Brothers Grimm. And, of course, they began their stories, uh, Cinderella, what was it, uh, Cinderella, I think it was, and all those other great stories, Sleeping Beauty, you know, once upon a time, once upon a time, in the beginning or something like this, but they would say once upon a time. But we know that the word of God is certainly not a fairy tale. The word of God does not fall into the category of legend. It doesn't fall into the category of fable either. Uh, the Bible tells us that the word of God is an inspired word. Of course, human authors wrote their own with their own style, but the message that they delivered was that of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, Paul's writing differs from the writing of John in the New Testament. The writing of Peter differs from that of Paul and, of course, and of uh, the other writers in the New Testament. And, of course, uh, when you go to the book of Hebrews, uh, there has been a great contention over the years of Christian theology. Now, who actually wrote that book of Hebrews? The style doesn't resemble this author. The style doesn't resemble that author. And so there have been a host of, uh, of, of suggestions made, and some think it was Apollos, who won a great preacher, some Barnabas, and... Others said it was this person or it was that person, and some know it had to be the Apostle Paul. But we do know that that writing, of course, is inspired and it's historical because it always leads us back to Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. But styles differently, but of course the inspiration is the same in every case. 
Now, that leads us to the book of Acts. Now, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke, the beloved physician, the very personal physician of the Apostle Paul, writes this book. This is his second volume that he writes. His very first one was in the Gospel of Luke, as you would recall, and he compiled the activities of the early believers, the apostles, and primarily, and Peter and Paul were, were two names that we read about in these 28 chapters of the book, and they, of course, appear front and center. And Dr. Luke, of course, knowing these gentlemen very thoroughly, he talks about the spiritual exploits that the Holy Spirit had sent them on. He talks about the empowering of the Holy Spirit and how Jews came to know this resurrected Jesus as well. And they were, of course, were the wonderful servants of the Lord himself. And in the first 11 verses of chapter 1, we read how the Acts of the Apostles began. And we must understand that that story that Dr. Luke tells us about is still a story that's in progress. Here we are, some 2,000 plus years on the back, on the other side of that story, and the story is still continuing. The story is still happening because the Holy Spirit of God has not been taken up, but until we hear that shout, the Holy Spirit will continue to do the work of reminding us about the words of Jesus and his activities. So you and I today, we're still part of the story. We're still part of this great drama of history. Now, this story in Acts is an unfolding drama, as I said, and, and Luke really is a, is a wonderful guide. And so he begins there, if you have your scriptures open, he says, uh, Dear Theophilus. Now, it was a letter that was uh, written to a friend of, of Dr. Luke. And he, we hear this again. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven. Now, as we said, this is the second volume that Dr. Luke had written as a personal physician and also as a guardian of the gospel, as we would say. And uh, Theophilus, now, who is this man? Well, we, we understand him to be a man of uh, some notoriety. Some believe that he was uh, high up in the Roman ranks, but he was a man that had some standing in the community. And uh, some believe that he was a man who was fairly wealthy, but he wanted to know exactly what this gospel story was all about, about Jesus. He wanted to know about the death and the resurrection, the crucifixion of Jesus, and he wanted to get the story straight. Now, we can't, we can't uh, uh, badger somebody for wanting to get the story straight. If you've had kids, oftentimes, you know, my, my three daughters would tell me three different versions of the same story. And you'd say, no, I just want to hear the facts. And this one would tell you this, the other person would tell you, and they'd say, my goodness, there must be truth in all of this. But, the, uh, but, but, but Theophilus wanted to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. And so Luke begins to tell him. Now, ancient uh, scrolls um, in those days uh, were normally written on papyrus sheets. And uh, they were a length of about 35 uh, feet or so. And uh, when it became longer than that, it became really too bulky to carry around under your arm and carrying it around. So there were physical limitations that determined the length of some of these books. And so you look at Matthew, you look at Luke and Acts and Romans, they kind of all fall into this category. But there, there, there's two things you see that we see here uh, that come at us right away from that first chapter of the book of Acts. Luke says he's writing about what Jesus did and second, about what he taught. These were important for Theophilus to know. 
He wanted to set it all straight, so he said, let me begin from the beginning and tell you what these things were, what he did and what he taught. So what did Luke mean by what Jesus did? Was he talking about uh, some of the miracles of Jesus? Well, I don't know. Was he talking about the healing of a blind man, for instance? Maybe he would sneak that in there. Was he talking to Theophilus about the feeding of 5,000? Now, that was a big miracle. Well, perhaps uh, that was part of the discussion. Is Luke referring to the teaching of the Beatitudes that we find in Matthew chapter 7, or 5, 6, and 7 of that gospel? Well, he may have alluded to that, as uh, these are all great remembrances, of course, of the life of Jesus, but I believe primarily he's talking about the events of his death. You see, this had become quite a talking point for people in that day and age. What about the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ? And Luke wants his friend to be absolutely certain about these things. He doesn't want to have any doubts. Now you say, now why was this so important? Well, recall during that great Easter event, if you, if you go back to uh, Matthew's gospel, you would, you would find there that the body of Jesus had disappeared, right? The stone had been rolled away. Jesus was no longer there. And so then there was a story that was circulated by the higher-ups, the authorities, tell people that the disciples of Jesus came along at night when the guards were sleeping, and they stole the body of their leader, Jesus. And the Bible says, and that story is still circulated to this day. And so you see, Theophilus may have heard that too, and he was saying to Luke, is there any credence to this story? And so Luke comes in and he says, no, let me tell you about all of this and let me give you a specific blow by blow as to how this all took place. He says that he is writing to remind his friend about what Jesus taught. You know, you and I, I think, um, know what Jesus was really all about and what he taught. As we said, the arrest, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and all of these things you see were quite shockers to people who were not of the faith, to those who wanted to spurn anything that that great Galilean had said. But then we read about in the New Testament where all of that conjecture, all of that theorizing came to nothing. I think of these words that were taken in verse 4. On one occasion, Luke says, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you heard about. Of course, that was the Holy Spirit. The followers of Jesus had been prepped. Jesus had told them that someday things are going to change. Someday he's going to leave planet Earth, and this wonderful comforter is going to be there. Stay where you are, he said, and wait. And again, Luke explains what Jesus did and what he taught. You know, I wonder how important it is for us today to consider what Jesus did and, and, and what he taught and how important this is to believers like you and me or anybody in any age. Um, you know, if our Bible doesn't consist as the main character of Jesus rather than just a story of good morals and, and wonderful things, that's one thing, but really to center on the mission and the ministry of Jesus Christ kind of kind of zeroes in on what's the most important thing. And if we don't have faith in what Jesus did and what he taught, well, then we may as well uh, golf on Sunday morning or we may as well eat brunch at our local restaurant. 
we may as well do all of these things. But you see, our faith is based on that eyewitness account of people like the Dr. Luke, Matthew, uh, Mark, uh, John, and all those people who were there, eyewitnesses of the events that we read about even today. Luke made it clear that what Jesus did and taught was foundational. He says in verse 3 of our text, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now think about some of those appearances of Jesus in those 40 days. I did a little study this past uh, season of Lent, and I thought, isn't it interesting, uh, all those different appearances? Now, no one says where Jesus slept at that time, did he? He didn't go to Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus and, and take up shelter and then go out every day and then come back at night. The Bible doesn't tell us where he was. But he was alive on Easter morning, and then on that road to Emmaus, the Bible says, and he walked with these two disciples back to Emmaus after they heard the events of their resurrection. And one of them is Cleopas, and of course, and he broke bread with them, and as he was taking that bread, they, they saw the nail prints in his hands, and they said, this is a holy moment. He disappeared from their midst, and they ran back to tell the disciples in Jerusalem all that they had, all that they had heard. And then he was with the disciples in the upper room, and sometime later he came back to Thomas the doubter, and he says, Thomas, here I am. Put your hands here and do this. And he says, my Lord and my God. And then, of course, there was that wonderful story where he had breakfast on the beach. Peter was out there, and as he saw this lone figure on the beach, John said to Peter, he said, it's the Messiah, it's the Lord. And the Bible says they were about 100 yards from shore, and Peter gets dressed because he was stripped down for work. He gets dressed, he goes into the water, and he swims to shore ahead of all the other disciples. And he stands there before the Lord that he had denied. And the Lord feeds him breakfast. And at the end of the breakfast, he said, Peter, feed my sheep. Let's get back to work. And he didn't do it privately. He did it in front of all the rest so they could hear that he had been reinstated as the leader. But he appeared to only believers in this time, friends. Isn't that interesting? You see, if I had done it, I would say, boy, Jesus, you really blew a wonderful opportunity. Wouldn't it have been great to knock on the door of Pontius Pilate and say, guess who's here? Wouldn't it have been amazing for him to go to the high priest and to say, to present himself and to say, you thought I was dead, but I'm not. Or how about that Roman soldier who drove that final spike into the feet of Jesus to appear before him. One of them said, surely this was the Son of God, but there were several that were there, of course. And what about Barabbas? That's the mysterious character here that I can never really find out much information about. The Bible is kind of silent. After he was released and, of course, Jesus was condemned, whatever happened to Barabbas? Did he have this come-to-the-Lord moment somewhere in his life? Did he come to understand that the man who took his place was no ordinary man, but was his savior? If Jesus just could have appeared to him and proved himself alive, what a transformation that could have been in his life. But Jesus doesn't do that. He goes to the people who were believers. The Lord revealed himself only to those who had faith in him. And you know, I think it's still that way even today. You know, God can do anything. He can reveal himself to the biggest atheist in the world if he chose to do that, but he doesn't do that. 
Now, there was one instance, of course, on that road to Damascus when he revealed himself to Paul, whose name was Saul, and, of course, he saw this bright light and he became an ambassador for the Lord. But by and large, that's not how the Lord usually does it, at least not in these post-resurrection appearances, not in this 40-day window, as we would say, and let's move it on to another 10, let's give it 50. The Lord didn't do that. You know, I wonder if the Lord continues to reveal himself to people today. I think he does, and I don't know your story. I don't know when the Lord himself became relevant in your life. Maybe it was many, many years ago, and you can point to chapter and verse and say, this was when I met the Lord. Maybe you can come to, uh, to some understanding in your mind and say, this is a period of my life when I felt the Lord just nipping at my heels, and I was going down this pathway, and he took me by the ankle, and he says, no, turn around. You've got to do, a, do, a, do an about face. Maybe you could come to a, a certain day and event. I remember a story that was told by a, a famous theologian. I, I forget his name. Um, the name was on the tip of my tongue, but I, but I couldn't remember it. But he had said um, he was sitting in a seat. He was traveling from, from L.A. to New York. And he was sitting next to a fella. And uh, usually what he does, he says, I like to uh, open my books and, you know, maybe catch up in some sleep or maybe to read a good book. But this fella next to me, he says, is very talkative. And uh, he was a believer. And he had said to, uh, to this theologian who wrote the book, he said, uh, he said uh, are you a man of faith? He said, yes, I am. He says, well, may I ask you, when were you saved? When were you saved? And the guy was quick. He said, uh, it was on a Friday afternoon about 2,000 years ago at about 3 o'clock. And the man said, oh. <laughs> Friends, isn't that all of our stories? When did salvation come to us? On a Friday afternoon about 3 o'clock some 2,000 years ago. Now we come to the realization of that, maybe when we're a teenager, or maybe when we're young, or maybe when we're old. We come to the realization of all of that, but friends, that's the moment of our salvation as well. After Jesus made his appearance to Thomas, Thomas said, my Lord and my God, and Jesus said, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet believed. Well, another thing we note about these introductory verses is that the is this missionary mandate. He says, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Friends, we live in a day when we want to know dates and times and events, don't we? If you asked me to come over for dinner, I'd say, well, what day and what time should I be there? If you said, I'd like you to sing at my husband's birthday party, I'd say, what day, what time, when can I be there, what's the address? And so the disciples of Jesus, they were in a very historic moment, and they said, but now, will you be restoring our beloved Israel to prominence on the world stage? And uh, when will all these things be? They, they still got it mixed up, right? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or dates that have been set by the Father, and he's not saying a word. He's not saying anything. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And Jesus would go on to say, but I am not even privy to this. That's a time set by my Father. And this was not the important thing. The important thing would be for them to understand the new kingdom would be one with tremendous power. 
You know, in Acts 2, we witness something amazing. The Holy Spirit comes in a powerful way, and, and we recognize that on today. Uh, this is our Pentecost Sunday. And, and uh, again, get the visual of this, you know, tongues of fire that would fall on 120 believers in the upper room. We get 120 people in here, can't we? And imagine 120 people all with tongues of fire on their heads, just hovering about that. Wouldn't that be a sight to see? Can you imagine something like that happening today? Can you imagine the talk in living rooms in this town and in this county? So you never believe what happened to Linda Community Church on Sunday. There was about 120 people worshipers there, good people, but boy, tongues of fire appeared on their heads. I've never seen anything like that before. What do we make of this? You know, and it would be an incredible thing. You know, the Greek word for uh, power is, is dunamis, and it was uh, Alfred Nobel, the Swedish uh, chemist many, many years ago, who discovered his fortune with this kind of power. And after he received the Nobel Peace Prize for this, and uh, he came up with this, uh, this, this powerful agent that would just blow sky high, right? He asked a Greek scholar, he said, what's the name for this in Greek? And as I said, it's dunamis, and of course the name called dynamite. That's uh, that's was the English the Anglo-Saxonized the word that we've come with it. It was uh, it was that. So we know it is dynamite, but it was powerful. Nothing on earth at that point could equal it. And he says, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you." Isn't it amazing that he didn't say, uh, "When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive power because the denomination is going to give you a grant to uh, to fix the building up." He didn't say, well, you're going to receive the, the, the power of, 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 uh, of, uh, of a year's salary, medical coverage, and travel allowances as you go out on this new mission that the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. No. Of all the things that the Lord could have left them with, he said, I'm going to leave you with power. I'm going to leave something inside you that's going to be a world-changing agent. You don't know it now, but it's going to be a world-changing agent. The spiritual power would enable them to be disciples and followers, and they would go to the farthest reaches of the world, and, and they would be evangelists, and they weren't evangelists before, but they certainly would be when the Spirit came upon them, and they would become preachers and proclaimers of this gospel. They certainly weren't before, but the Holy Spirit was going to enable them to do that, and they were going to be doing all of these things because the Lord said, I'm going to leave you with this power, and they couldn't figure out just how marvelous that power would be. You know, in John 14, 12, we read, and I tell you the truth, Jesus said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and he will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. You know, because Jesus has gone to be with his Father, the realm of possibility for service that you and I have as believers are endless. And there's something that's really exciting here. Um, Ascension and Pentecost are about 10 days apart. But you will remember when Jesus ascended into heaven. He had his hands open and he went up into heaven. And uh, an old catechism question says, now, what is the importance of his ascension? Well, the catechism says a couple of things. He is seated at the right hand of God, which is a place of prominence and authority. And the Hebrews says, in the book of Hebrews, he always lives to make intercession for the saints. So imagine this twin power that we have today. We have the ascended reigning Christ at the Father's right hand, interceding for the church. Friends, that's you and me, interceding for the church for some 
over 2,000 years, every day, interceding for the church. We're on his prayer list. And then not only that, but leaving the Holy Spirit with this power on earth. Friends, would you think about this? This is incredible, isn't it? Jesus praying constantly for his church and all those who will seek the faith, and then the Holy Spirit on planet earth reminding us all of what Jesus said and taught. How can we lose? <laughs> How can we lose with those two things? Well, you know, we as believers have a, a, great, a great power at our disposal, and uh, we always want to use it wherever God sends us. Whatever little mission he sends us on in the course of the week, we want to make sure, we want to tell ourselves, now we've got a praying Jesus in heaven interceding for us and the presence of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live convincing lives even today. Friends, how can we go wrong? What do you think on earth could even stand up against that? Absolutely nothing. And after Jesus commissioned his followers, he disappeared from their vision, the Bible says, and after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their presence. You know, Jesus never asked for questions. He, he didn't say, are, are you getting this, guys? Uh, does this all make sense? Because he knew that when the Holy Spirit would come on planet Earth, it would remind them of all the things that Jesus said. And they'd be sitting there, and the Holy Spirit would be in their midst where two or three are gathered. And they'd say, but didn't Jesus say something like this? Oh, remember two years ago when we were in the Caesarea Philippi and Jesus made mention of this, and all of these things would come back to them and they would be inspired to write the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and later on Paul to write his great epistles. Friends, you and I, uh, members here of the Linden Community Church, every church on the planet Earth, you see, have been given a commission to go and to make disciples and to be a witness wherever his spirit takes us. And we have a tremendous power at our advantage. Uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, the Bible says. We have a great and an awesome God because he leaves us with his spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but his word endures forever. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you so much. How we thank you so much for this Sunday of Pentecost. It's not just a day that we just simply say, oh yeah, it's Pentecost Sunday, no big deal. Uh, next week it'll be something else. But Father, we know that it sets the stage. This was the beginning of the church age as we would know it. This was the beginning of something miraculous that was going to happen. The beginning of something that would change the world as we know it. And we thank you that that drama is continuing. We're still part of the story. We're still being written in as main characters in all of this. Can you believe it? And Father, we thank you that you are not finished here, but you still have given us assignment. Until you return again, Lord, find us faithful. In your name we pray. Amen.